Busy as a global co-working and conference community, we've had our fingers on the pulse of co-working since 2012, and we've connected thousands of operators, both in person and online. On the Juicy Podcast, we talk with the people making it happen day in and day out. Let's get to it. Okay, guys, guess what? You are in for a treat today. We have Snake Dakia back. She was such a hit on the stage at Juicy that when she called me and wanted to talk about Juicy this year, I was like, we just need to do a podcast. So here we are. Welcome back. Oh, thank you so much, Liz. I am so excited to be back almost a year to date and can't wait to dive into all of the juicy things we'll be talking about today. Look at that. I love it. I love it. Okay. So real quick, we haven't talked in a bit. How are you as a human, not your business? As a human, I am both completely exhausted as well as extremely excited for 2024. You know, as you know, we had a very intense 2023, lots of highs and lows for the business, which we can jump into. And then also the personal journey of being an entrepreneur, a mom, and trying to figure out self-care amongst everything else. So I'm definitely happy it's 2024. And with the goals in place that we have for the business and personally, I'm just looking for all of the amazing things we've manifested to start to come true. Mm-hmm. And uh, so just to bring some folks up to speed who maybe hadn't heard, you guys had a fire and then what something. Oh, and then you you and your business partner broke up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so the start of 2023 was very interesting. You know, I think when you start a business and you have, you know, an incredible partner with you, as the business grows, as it proceeds, as you go through challenges, you know, you quickly find yourself in a position where does it make sense to continue? And so that happened at the start of 2023, where we decided, you know, to split ways and in the middle brought an incredible third business partner, which I'll I'll talk quite a bit about today when we get to the rest of our conversation. So we had the fire in February. We just celebrated that one year anniversary with ways to continue to find a way to make an impact in the community of Plainfield. We lost a business partner, And then went through the trials and tribulations of really refining our location here in Princeton because we had just opened in November of 2022. And so spent a lot of time focusing on our product, our services, our solution, the full service cafe that we had decided, you know, to, to open up here on site. And then as we continue down through 2023, you know, I just was, I was dealt with a couple of personal challenges that I'm still actively working through. Mm -hmm. And so by the time we ended the year, it felt almost like three years in one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in that, embedded in that were so many incredible highs, like, um, you know, our time at GC, being able to finally talk about what we're doing here at From Here and, and being able to meet a whole group of people who truly understood the trials and tribulations of being in the co-working industry, you know, mm-hmm. and so I've made so many incredible friends through that, that, you know, when all was said and done, 2023 ended on a higher note and 2024, the, the opportunity here to capture and to refine what we're doing and expand is really what we're excited about. I love it. I love it. So how is business doing? Mm-hmm. So our current location that is operating is based in Princeton, New Jersey. Here we have 5,000 square feet. We have a full service cafe. And for those that don't 
um, necessarily know our business smaller. We really leaned into by the hour, by the day, very flexible monthly plans with the hope of engaging all of those professionals, smaller companies, and honestly, larger companies that are just looking for hubs, the ability to utilize a space without having a financial barrier to entry. That's always been very, very important to us. And so our services start at $5 an hour, which for some feel very, very low, but for others, it's affordable and it allows them the ability to come into a productive space where they can work, study, meet, connect, create, right? Do anything from here. And you guys really double down on events as well. That's right. We, somewhere in the middle of 2023, we were hosting event after event and actually both personal and professional. What we found was that the neighborhood was starved for a neighborhood clubhouse, a space without the, you know, the frills of an F&B contract with a hotel or a restaurant where they can come in and, and just find a few hours to celebrate whatever it is they were going to celebrate. Mm-hmm. And then also from a, from a professional perspective, we became a really exciting hub for anywhere from a group of 15 to a group of 120 to come together and, and to meet, to collaborate, and to connect. So that was a large part of our strategy in 2023 because it gave us the opportunity to make from here a destination I guess no pun intended there, <laughs> um, you know, to, to really create a very strong marketing funnel for right, our, our, our eight to five business. You know, it's so interesting over the years when I had my own co-working space, we started out doing a ton of events and over time it just got hard because it takes so much from you and your staff. And it's, it's, I love that you said like, you know, the neighborhood needed a celebration space, which by the way, somebody needs to start celebration space and just open these spaces and neighborhoods for people. There was a guy here in Austin that actually opened a really cute space in a great little neighborhood, like historic strip center. And it was literally like for kids' birthday parties. And he, he did fantastic until the pandemic hit. But yeah, people need these spaces to come together. And I think, you know, over time, they've kind of not been available or gone away. So I love that you're providing that for the neighborhood. Yeah. And, but to your point, Liz, right, we, we've definitely become a lot more thoughtful about how many of these we schedule, the size of the gatherings, and the ability to make it sustainable. And now that the other side of our business has picked up, and in some ways we've continued to add plans that are now extended hours and 24-7 and, you know, really starting to cater to the needs of the companies that, you know, started on at $5 in the work lounge and now have a dedicated space next door. We Mm -hmm. want to be thoughtful about ensuring that we're always leaning into our primary business, which is the co-working space, Mm -hmm. and then supplementing it with events as it makes sense for the business without being overly disruptive. And I think one of the things that you and I will get to is that balance between the co-working space, the cafe, mm-hmm. and then being a clubhouse and ensuring that you're always fine-tuning what you're offering so they don't end up either cannibalizing each other or coming into conflict with each other. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting dance. I remember, you know, we had in our original space, I built it so that we could clear out the desk and make it an event mm-hmm. space. And, you know, but it was it was so much work to it and then to clean it and like people don't realize like 
events are a real churn. They are a slug. They are hard on you. They're hard on your space and they're hard on your staff. So interesting, interesting take. Okay. So one of the things that I've been paying a lot of attention to is as the real estate world enters into this market under the term flexible, and then we've got all these co-working spaces, and there's just like a lot of people looking for places to land. And so now everybody's got meeting rooms, everybody's got Wi-Fi, everybody's got coffee. So how do you differentiate yourself? And I've, I've been in a lot of conversations lately with a lot of different CEOs where F&B always comes up right? What is your F&B strategy? What are you thinking? What are you doing? What's next? And so we're definitely talking about it on stage at Juicy, and we've got some pretty big players talking about their F&B strategy. But I love your F&B strategy and that you've made it profitable. And so I'd love for you to share that with us so others can learn from it. Yeah, absolutely. So when From Here started, it was a true knee-jerk reaction in May of 2020, <laughs> where in the suburbs of New Jersey, you really only had three places to work from if you weren't going to go and double down on a, on a Regis yeah. membership. Can we just talk about Jersey as kind of a mm-hmm. untapped state in terms of co-working. I mean, there's you, there's Bellworks, there's a few others, but it's just kind of been ignored, which is bizarre because it's such a bedroom community for New York. And I mean, not to like throw any shade in New Jersey. New Jersey can stand on its own. It's got a huge economy, but it's just bizarre to me. It is. And, and, And I think what you are seeing here in the industry, and this is just from my own research, so please don't quote me on anything, but it was always meant to cater to the slightly larger companies, the slightly larger teams, and I think the individual N of one, right, those of us that are struggle busing it at home or the library or at the Starbucks, that was the the unseen group. And particularly from the pandemic, after the pandemic, you know, the shift for so many companies to allow for a remote or hybrid or kind of whatever that situation is right now, which is ever evolving, more and more people now have the opportunity to work outside of an office. And I think that market expanded suddenly. And New Jersey has a wonderful opportunity here to serve a lot of those folks. And so it's so nice to start to see other boutique, non-traditional co-working spaces open up with the hope of servicing more of, of this community that really is now searching coffee shop near me with the hope of bumping into a place that is pseudo suitable for work. And that's actually our number one search term here. It's coffee shop near me. That's how people are finding us, which I'll I'll jump into in just a minute. So here, as I mentioned, we have a 250 square foot full service cafe. And very intentionally early on, we ensured that it was a grab and go cafe. Otherwise, if you were in the space, you would have to pay for the space. Okay, so find full service for us, please. So full service for us is we have a barista, we're making handcrafted espresso drinks, you know, specialty coffee, our teas, we have an acai bar, an oatmeal bar, we get our pastries fresh from New York every day, but we are a full service grab and go coffee shop. Anyone that wants to then come into our space, right? So the other, you know, less than 5,000 square feet, now they have to come and, and actually pay to be in the space. Um, so is there a physical barrier to the space? That's right. So we we have a door that you come in to the cafe, and then we have a door from the cafe into the workspace. Got it. 
Um, and then we also just have a main door for our workspace as well. And so we we very intentionally designed it to ensure that the coffee shop seating didn't cannibalize right our co-working business because now people are sitting there as they would in a Starbucks, squatting for free and you know enjoying the day there. But we also wanted to ensure that if you were bringing cafe customers into the workspace, that they weren't disrupting our co-working guests, people that are truly you know, paying for a productive and conduct, you know, a collaborative experience here. So again, to go back to that dance, it was a very thoughtful dance between knowing that some of our coffee customers, we might not ever be able to welcome them again because they did want a traditional cafe style experience. But the majority of our cafe customers, they appreciate the grab and go. We're one of the few special specialty coffee shops in the area. We take a lot of pride in our product, um, which we can talk more about our, our offerings and our services. And it's also been a wonderful customer acquisition strategy mm -hmm. for us because now people are like, oh, wow, this is connected to a co-working space. And in some ways, they'll come and spend the $5 for the hour and, you know, just experience an outlet, safe and secure Wi-Fi and a conducive space to work. And in other ways, they've now become monthly members and we see them all the time. So I have a question for you. I very much believe that our friends over at Starbucks are purposely not supplying enough plugs, <laughs> providing non-ergonomic seating. Um, and I think that's part of a strategy because they don't want you there all day. So I'm curious, in your coffee shop, did you, it sounds like you set it up with internet, power, ergonomic seating, don't crank the AC down to 60 so that people are uncomfortable and leave. And then like, do you get, because I think this is the fear for a lot of co-working owners. Like, do you get a bunch of quote unquote campers that just work there for, you know, five plus hours? Yeah. And if they are, then they're being charged for the five plus hours, right? So mm -hmm. when they come on site, they can either pay for a few hours to work in the co-working space in the cafe, or we'll take the leap if if this is something that they want to be doing more frequently, and we'll actually sign them up on our CRM. And now we have a credit card on file. And so we okay, very so thoughtfully monitor who's in the space. So you can't like, as like a mom with two kids come in and buy some pastries and just sit down? Nope. Because we will, you can't come into the other side of the door unless you've paid for the co-working space. But in the coffee space, you can. Yes. Yep. And okay. our coffee space is only 250 square feet. So yeah, there's no okay. seating. There's no okay, seating. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. What we do have during the months that um, it's nice outside is we have an outdoor patio, which is open mm -hmm. to everyone. And then every now and then, if the weather is really bad for some reason, we'll make the exception because at the end of the day, we are human. But we really do try to avoid the crossover between the the cafe and the co-working space mm -hmm. unless someone has truly paid for the time you know, in the workspace. And we also are very thoughtful about children. Um, one, because we want them to be able to be children. So it's not fair to them to be in a co-working space and not be children. But two, just for safety as well, right? We're very mm -hmm. thoughtful that there are 30, 40 other guests in the space. And, and mm -hmm. we want to be thoughtful about those that are under 18. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It sounds like you've really put a ton of thought into it. So question for you. I'm not giving you the money, but let's say I was giving you the money for your next location. How would you design it differently and why? Great question. One, I believe that if we want to get into more markets faster, 
we need to have a smaller square footage. So right now we're looking at spaces that are between 2,000 and 2,500 square feet. We really want to double down on the, the coffee part of it. But think through the cafe, because for those of you that either have ever worked in a cafe, own a cafe, or have a cafe as a part of your co-working space, there are a lot of challenges that come with that. One, staffing, right? You always need to have really good staff that are skilled to make handcrafted coffees. And having gone through barista training myself, it is very difficult to make a cappuccino. <laughs> and so to just from the construction aspects of it, the cost, you know, of the equipment, now you're getting, you know, a health license, health inspection. Oh, yeah. So the water, the drainage, all of that, it's really complex. It is, it is. And and now you're dealing with, right, the cost of goods, et cetera. So Opening up a coffee shop in your co-working space is not for the faint of heart. And so as we look forward to our next locations, we're really thinking about the operational aspects of setting up a real cafe, the ability to staff it, the ability to provide a, a excellent coffee experience, right? Because if you're going to jump into coffee, then you have to do it right. Mm-hmm. And then thinking about the overhead of our workspace and the different services that people are actually using. So now between two locations and, you know, a lot of data under our belt, we're realizing that we want to double down, excuse me, on the internet cafe part of it, still have it be paying, but have it be smaller and have it be easier to operate and manage where our overhead expenses can lessen over time and we can really see stronger profit margins. So I'd say that's our goal. Our goal is smaller, more efficient internet cafes that are really doubling in on a better, exciting coffee experience. So we can battle, right, and come in competition with the Starbuckses of the world. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. So um, are you still looking at national expansion? Are you looking at regional? What are you thinking now? I mean, you and I have talked about it, right? New Jersey mm-hmm. is an untapped market, and there totally. is something about having built a brand here in New Jersey and the network effect of that. You know, we're we're really starting to see a lot of customers be like, I wish you were in this locality and this locality and this locality. So one, we're looking directly at New Jersey and where the opportunities are here. And then two, we're looking for the suburbs that we see in New Jersey across the U.S. There are so many untapped markets, particularly once you leave the metro areas, where there's a really exciting opportunity to bring this. And I think as soon as we have the ability to really fine-tune our square footage and our um, cafe strategy, it'll allow us to be able to open up in markets outside of New Jersey with the confidence that once we set it up and we get the right operator in place, that they will be able to execute with the excellence. And hopefully by that point, we can start to see what some of the other players are doing in the market and continue to adapt from that perspective. But Starbucks, as an example, there's one right around the corner that opened up right after we did. And now there's actually a meeting room in there and they're Mm -hmm. allowing people to book that meeting room. And so we are starting to see some of the cafes here trying to tiptoe into the co-working space. But again, what's that fine dance and ensuring that you don't disrupt what your core offering is, right? Your, Your core services to your guests. So I'm very curious to see about what happens there. Juicy is headed to Salt Lake City, 
Join us in Utah on April 9th through 11th for Juicy North America. We'll have a three-day program where the mountains meet the city and co-working is just around the corner. We invite you to join our community for a real-time co-working and hospitality experience, Juicy Style. In addition to the conference, we'll have a mix of work and play activations for you and your team to take advantage of. Whether you're up for outdoor thrills, exploring the art scene, or digging into local cuisine, we've got you covered. We chose Salt Lake because it's such a cool place with warm vibes, and we're ready to welcome you. For more information about Juicy North America, head to na.gcuc.co. Speakers and more to come. See you soon. You know, there's a coffee shop here in Austin that's a bookstore coffee shop and they have tons of outdoor seating and basically almost no inside seating and all the outside seating and it's kind of that neighborhood hub and then outside seating is just all taken there's nowhere to sit because it's just filled up because the neighborhood really needed it and it's funny because i walked in and it's a very you know decent sized space with this huge bookstore and i walked in i was immediately like they've got to get rid of these books and put desks in here or tables. And the other thing I thought was really interesting is they approached the coffee shop as a membership club. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's intriguing that you buy a, you know, a membership to this coffee place and then you get quote unquote discounts on your coffees and pastries. And sure enough, they'd been open not that long, maybe six months. And they're like, yeah, so now you can, you know, book desks inside. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, so interesting. Have you looked at the membership concept for the coffee part? Yes. Yeah, so we actually launched the Bean Club <laughs> recently. Uh-huh. And so it's it's $30 a month for unlimited drip coffee, cold brew, and a selection of our yeah. teas. One, we're very thoughtfully balancing reoccurring revenue with our variable revenue, right? Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things that we're constantly iterating on. We want to keep the barrier to entry low financially, really stay true to hourly and daily where we can, but ensure that obviously we can operate a successful business and take care of our overhead. That, and we really believe that the more frequently we can get people on site and become a part of their daily routine or in the cafe, what we call their daily grind, you know, It'll allow them to keep us on top of mind the next time they need a workspace, the next time someone needs an event space. So it's been just this this wonderful way to become a part of the community and a part of people's lives. And I believe that reoccurring membership, when it adds value to your life, you know, can be a really meaningful way to increase loyalty and increase repeat customers. Totally. Um, Totally. I when the when the local car wash started a membership thing and you know unlimited thirty dollars a month and I'm like well I go twice a month so this makes tons of sense for me and now I go six times a month because I perceive it to be less you know so I think that's interesting I think more people should maybe take a look at that and then you know one of the things I think you might have listened to the Cliff Hope podcast where he said he had you know one coffee shop that had lost him you know some significant six figures. And I think you're not losing money, you're making money. Is that correct? We are. It was a balance, right? So that that 250 square foot space costs significantly more, right? Than 250 yeah. square feet. And just again, you know, the headache of the construction, the plumbing, mm-hmm. the health licenses, the equipment in that room, right? Between mm-hmm. the espresso machine, et cetera. So 
the cost going into the coffee shop was quite steep. And we're finally starting to see the ROI on that. But our goal, I think similar to Cliff, was that if we do this correctly, the coffee shop becomes the way that people find us and they discover us. Because the majority of us, again, like I mentioned, are Googling Starbucks near me and coffee shop near me. And for better or worse, my SEO is working and we're like the top ones, right? And Princeton for, the, for those two. It became a, a really wonderful amenity, which is where this started for our workspace guests. Most people at some point in time will go and grab a, a really good craft drink. They'll take us up on an acai bowl. They'll grab a couple of quick snacks and drinks. And so from that perspective, we are doubling down on our hospitality offering by having that cafe there. And then... Right. The third thing was, is that, well, can it help us cover some of our operating expenses here? And then the ideal goal is, is that now it's profitable. Right. Mm -hmm. Right now, our cafe over the last six months, plus or minus, the cafe revenue accounts for about 20 to 25 percent of our revenue. And and for a very small grab and go cafe, it's really holding right its end of the bargain. Mm -hmm. Now, the time and effort that has gone into continuing to fine to that, really make sure we have the right staff in place. But we've spent a lot of time on really understanding the F&B business and mm-hmm. having to continue to iterate on it. Um, Are you guys doing lunch stuff as well? Right now, we have stayed with our oatmeal bar, acai bar, our pastries. We're starting to expand our snacks. We kept going back and forth between wanting to offer some sort of breakfast option and lunch option. But again, I think that's where you go into the complexities of when do you become a restaurant right. versus when you stay true to your co-working business, knowing that most people will get into the car and, you know, take us up on all the restaurants that surround us. And I think mm-hmm. we have to know what our capability and capacity is and where we draw the line to ensure that we can cross train where we need and not end up in a business that we can't control. Or we have stepped out of our comfort zone at this point in it, and it, and it becomes a totally different beast. So you operate the coffee shop totally. Okay. So have you thought about outsourcing the coffee shop? When we first started this journey, we were going to outsource the coffee shop because I knew that I loved right the cafe industry, but outside of being a customer, I didn't know anything about it. Uh, And so we had talked initially about bringing in another operator who through and through would take ownership over the cafe, provide an incredible experience and someone that we wanted to ensure met our brand values. Because once you bring an external partner, values, the experience, for better or worse, it it all bleeds in. If someone has a bad experience in the co-working space, it's going to impact the cafe operator and vice versa. So there was a lot of thought in who we wanted to bring in. Then, unfortunately, because of the construction timelines and everything that happened during COVID, we just didn't want to hold them anymore because we just didn't know when we were going to open. But that's when I believe everything truly happens for a reason, because that's when, you know, our our third business partner, Mina Hannah, um, who many of you had a chance to meet at Juicy, entered the arena. And I truly believe that everything happens for a reason, because he brought with him outside of a really wonderful interest and curiosity for the co-working industry he used to run a, his own cafe for fun. He is a coffee connoisseur at heart. And he, you know, his background was in retail and a restaurant franchises. So he truly understood what it took mm-hmm. to set up a F&B establishment. And so that's when we were like, you know what, we're going to bring this in-house. 
We created Being There. So from here, Being There is our coffee brand. And we decided to double down on it because we knew that at that point we could control the end-to-end experience mm-hmm. for our guests. End-to-end costs, we can expand and retract as we need it. And we wanted it to become an integral part about how we um, provided a meaningful and thoughtful experience to our guests in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because of him that we were able to double down on it. It's also because of him that I painfully decided to not offer complimentary coffee anymore. Because as a co-working company, you feel this intense obligation to provide mm-hmm. free coffee. And his argument was, is that one, now we're in conflict with our other right service. But second, if we're providing a more superior product in our cafe, let's test out to see if people be willing to pay for it, right? And Yeah, and I think also if you're providing workspace for as low as $5, I don't think people should expect free coffee. You know, I used to get in like literal fights because early on in the industry, there was this deal where everybody thought like, if you buy a co-working membership, meeting space is free. And I always charge for my meeting space. And people would be like, why do you charge for it? And I'm like, because I'm paying rent on it. (laughs) You know, it's like, space is not free to me. Why should it be free to you? Like, that's always just like kind of blown my mind. You know, for me, for my co-working space, we did give away coffee, but we only offered drip coffee. But we went and bought, we did a tasting. We got our members involved in the tasting. Every few years, we would do a new tasting. And we just bought the most high quality coffee we could find that was locally roasted and organic in Austin, Texas. And we wanted to support a local business. And what I knew it was successful when people would be like, in the neighborhood and like pass through with their Yeti to fill it up with coffee because it was so good. And That's I was right. success. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'll, I'll double down what you said before on, on both of those things. One, we have different types of memberships. So our work lounge, our hot desk, our private offices. And to your point, if you want to, if you have a, let's say, you know, a hot desk membership and you wanted to utilize our private office, People are paying for it that by the hour, by the day, they get a discount depending on the type of membership plan they have. But to your point, if you're filling that space and not paying for it, you're taking away from another paying customer that I could have put into that space. And in order for us to be extremely flexible and also to be a more affordable option in the market, we have to be very thoughtful about who's using what space within our co working space and charge as people are using the space. We are unabashedly, right? A pay-as-you-go space. And in order to stay true to our model, similar to not allowing cafe customers to come and sit in the workspace for free, we can't allow for our workspace guests to start utilizing all of the other services for free. And so the folks that are here that we have been able to bring up as customers, they understand that and they actually respect it. And I think we found a really good group of people here that abide by our neighborhood guidelines and understand why we are doing what we're doing and, and appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah and then, yeah. And then to your second point, you know, as we, as we started this concept, right, I, I mentioned, right. The first thing is this idea of obligatory, right. The convenience of having free coffee on site. And then you see the Keurig machine every now and then, right. And, and you're really <laughs> wondering, you know, if people are actually using it. But I think that as a, as a co-working person, you have to ask yourself, what's the purpose 
that your coffee is bringing, right? Is it because you're checking that obligatory box off of providing free coffee? Is it because you're looking to create a water cooler effect and having, you know, your coffee or lounge area be the place where people are engaging and interacting when they put their heads up and come out of their desks and offices? Um, similar to what you did, Liz, are you looking for something more elevated? where you're creating an experience and a conversation around your coffee because you know that in some way, shape, or form, it's helping the bottom line of your co-working business? Or do you go all in like us, right, and open up your own cafe, whether it's partnering with an exterior person or doing your own, knowing that now you are becoming a community based right cafe and co-working space and you have mm -hmm. two sides of your business that you are actively and thoughtfully balancing knowing that both can be successful if you do it right yeah um, and, you know it reminds me of and i know that it's on your reading list thanks mm -hmm. to me but in the book unreasonable hospitality one of the things they do is they just start like picking apart different parts of the restaurant and inserting excellence into those things so like the front desk the coffee the bar, the beer, like just really just deep diving on certain aspects of the business and figuring out how to make them next level exponentially better. And, you know, I think that that's just a really good concept for anybody to apply to any business and start picking it apart and being like, what is this? Do I need this? How can I make it better? Is it elevating the experience? Yeah, and and that's what we've done. We are we are our harshest critics here, and very purposefully so. Mm -hmm. um, we spend a lot of time um, listening to our customers, seeing the use cases. We're very quick about changing things because we have the ability to iterate in real time. Here, we're still, you know, small, but we've been more thoughtful about as we're iterating. Is it sustainable? Is it scalable? Is it meeting a one-off need, mm -hmm. or are we meeting the needs of a larger group? When we make exceptions, have we created a monster? And when we decide to take away something, we want to make sure that we're taking it away because it wasn't adding value, but we're replacing it with something that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I'm very excited. I got the book in the mail and I'm looking oh, forward good. to reading it next week. I even I got a secondary copy for my team on site. So, Oh, good, good, yeah. good. You'll love it. You, I promise you'll love it. And for all of y'all out there, if you haven't read Unreasonable Hospitality, it's mandatory. Okay. So unbelievable. Where does the time go? I could talk to you all day. You're so articulate and smart and kind and sharing. And I really, really appreciate that because this is like, this podcast is like a great gift for our industry, you know, and you're sharing things you don't need to share. And we really appreciate that about you. So last question, total hard, right. But, you know, I start out asking like how you are. And then in the end, I'd love to leave it with something that shows more about you as a human. So, um, okay, you've got this once in a lifetime chance. We are going back to 12-year-old Where Tell us where in the world she was and what was going on. And you get to tell her one thing about the future. What are you gonna tell her? So 12-year-old Snay would be living in North Brunswick, New Jersey, facing the challenges of middle school. <laughs> and the one thing that I would tell her is everything will unfold as it's meant to and to enjoy every moment versus wishing she were 21 or 30 or 40 and also being open to the unexpected because I believe when we're 12 our dreams can only take us so far 
because we've only been exposed to so much. Mm. And I could definitely say that whatever she was dreaming about at 12 didn't include anything that's happening now. Um, yeah. And you made a really good point earlier when I asked you what you wanted your last question to be to give everybody a choice. Mm -hmm. And you said, I think the 12-year-old question is great because most people don't didn't expect to be where they were, but in a great, big, brilliant way. That's right. That's right. And I think the other thing that I would probably tell my 12-year-old self, I think last time I quoted Sesame Street, so this time I'll quote Ratatouille, which outside <laughs> of reading Unreasonable Hospitality, if you haven't watched Ratatouille, I, I love Ratatouille, by the way. And every time after I watch it, I start like cooking and baking again. <laughs> it is. Or you realize how many layers there are to the story. And uh -huh. it's about this little mouse or ra <laughs> rather, you know, finding himself, right? And I think being 12, actually, you know, it brings you right back to that. But at the end of the movie, not to ruin it for anyone, but at the end of the movie, there's a very famous monologue by the food critic, Ego. And long story short, he says, you know, not everyone can be a great artist, but a great artist can come from anywhere. And I think that's so powerful because at 12 years old, you know, most people aren't saying, I'm going to go into the human resources industry and then jump ship <laughs> and open up a co-working space. But I can say that most 12-year-olds are, aren't putting a bet on themselves that they can be incredible and amazing mm -hmm. and they should listen to their own instincts and find their own way. So yeah, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much totally appreciate your time and your gift to the industry. And I'm so excited that I get to give you a giant hug in just like a couple of months in Salt Lake City. I'm so excited to have you guys back. Oh, we can't wait. Thank you for having us. You know, Liz, I've said this to you one-on-one -on -one too, but this is such a wonderful platform. You give people a voice and you allow them to tell their story. And I love being able to listen to my first podcast with you and just see the amount of change and milestones and challenges that we've been through and be able to resiliently be back here, you know, to continue that story. I love it. I love it. It's going to be a great story, Snay. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning into the Juicy Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and follow us for more Juicy content. You can stay connected with us on social media by following us at Juicy Global. We're looking forward to having you join us next time for more insightful discussions. Until then, keep exploring the co-working world with the Juicy Podcast. Ciao.